Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to finish the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts." Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. And that last bit is going to seem like a challenge, that this is the word of the Lord. Because we don't like some of these words. Right? Just as we had that last section yesterday of chapter 5 that American culture really doesn't like, it's the same here in chapter 6. I mentioned yesterday that oftentimes, you know, people that are against God's word will try to point out that the the authors of scripture, they're not able to speak well, um, they're foolish, uh, and 
I think this is a good example of them being able to use strong, solid public speaking techniques. Here we see Paul pulling a bait and switch three times over. He speaks first to the wives so that he gets the husband who has authority over the wife. He gets his attention and gives him the harder thing. Then he speaks to the children so he gets the, the, the parents' attention. And then he gives the parents the harder thing. Then he speaks to the slaves. We'll come back to that word. And he gives them instruction first. So he gets the master's attention and he gives the master the harder thing. You see what he's doing there? All right, so let's look at them one, one after another here. We already saw the first one yesterday. Second one is children and parents. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord, so he's pointing to God's authority, which God gives to the parent. So children don't want to obey their parents, but I would put before you that this is the easier thing to do. So verse 2 this is one you can ask your kids about, right? You know the commandment, honor your father and mother. So ask them, which of the commandments is that? Chance to review your Ten Commandments together. You can find them Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then Paul identifies here that that commandment had a promise attached to it. That, you may, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. In a way, that's a threat. Right? That is the threat of the law against the sinner. When we sin against the Lord, we have rebelled against the Lord and we are deserving of death. Sin brings death. And in God's Old Testament nation of Israel, you actually see that. The child who disobeys their parents, many of those instances could be punishable by the community by death. And the reason for it is verse 4. Fathers... Skipping to the end, bring up your children in, in the instruction of the Lord. The discipline, disciple, see how those words are similar? Instruction of the Lord. Parents' job, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with dad, is to teach their kids the faith. If the children will not listen to their parents, then they are likely outside of the faith. They are outside the kingdom of God, and that rebellion against God's kingdom is a threat to spread, that their rebellion would spread to others. So this is part of that Old Testament law of the Lord. And so here, Paul is encouraging fathers to teach their children, to raise them in the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The next one, Verse 5 starts with the word bond servants. I don't like that translation. Think of a servant who is bound. We're talking about a slave. I wish the ESV just would have used the word slave, but they didn't. So, you know, we'll sub it in here. Slaves, obey your masters. And again, making the argument that's the easier thing to do, right? So for the parent in the last one, the parent's got all kinds of other stuff going on. And to actually take the time and invest into their children to teach them the faith in the midst of a culture that doesn't want to, that's a challenge. And we face that challenge today. It is 
easy to teach our children to love our favorite sports teams and to even teach them how to be successful and again go off and get a good career. But we are far behind that when it comes to actually teaching them what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. What it looks like to live our lives for Christ instead of for worldly pleasure and worldly gain. We need a lot of encouragement in that regard. It is the harder thing. Back to the slaves and masters here. This is one that strikes Americans quite a bit. How can the Bible approve of slavery? Well, because God doesn't think the same way we do. America is all about freedom. And freedom is one of the chief virtues, the chief goals. God's word isn't concerned about our freedom. At least not from the things of this world. Okay, so you're free from a master, you're not a slave. Well, guess how you're living in 21st century America? You are probably a slave of a corporation. Where the head of that company really doesn't care that much about you. And we, we think this feminist movement did so many great things for women. They've been freed from the bondage of the home and they get to go off into the workplace. Well, we, they just ended up joining that same slave corporation deal, which isn't all that great anyway. The Bible tends to portray that you're always a slave. The question is, is what are you a slave to? Are you going to be a slave to your sin? Or are you going to be a slave to Christ? Which shows up right there in verse 6. Paul is making the case that we should be slaves of Christ. But in this particular situation, as Paul is talking about this idea, I mean, it, it doesn't even strike him to talk about freedom here. This is the position that you're in in this world. Guess who needs to hear the gospel? The master of a slave. And if that slave knows the gospel, they can share that gospel with their master, and perhaps their master will come to faith. Slaves are to obey their master. They are to not... Just do what looks good to the eye. They're not to make it look like they're doing good stuff, but they're actually supposed to do everything that they do in service to the Lord, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, they will receive it back from the Lord. So it's a reference to the treasures in heaven, that what we do faithfully here in this place, no matter what our situation in life, the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. The hard thing, masters do the same. Masters should care for, they should render service to their slaves with a good will as to the Lord. I mean, think about it for a moment. How would you like to be a slave of Jesus? Where... You get to serve him in his kingdom, do the work that he asks you to do, 
And as you do that, he cares for you. He provides for you. He protects you. He, he feeds you. He clothes you. He gives you all that you need. He gives you a roof over the head. I mean, slavery to Christ is a good thing. Earthly slavery typically isn't. But the freedom idea just is not a part of the concept here. Masters are to treat their servants well and serve them, care for them. Why is this the harder thing? Well, sinful nature, position of power, and you know how easy it is when you have that power to abuse it. And so I think this is a threat, verse 9, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. As the master and the slave both come before the judgment throne of God on judgment day, they both have to give an account for how they've lived their lives, and there's no partiality. God is he's not going to go easy on the slave because he was oppressed. He's not going to go easy on the master because he's powerful and had this great authority or privileged, to use the 21st century America favorite term, they will stand before the Lord and have to give an account for their own actions. And this is why what we see in the scriptures is not a concern about worldly freedom. It's a concern about salvation. Jesus Christ comes into the world as the Messiah to save us from our sins. He does so at a point of time where the Romans are on top of the world. They're the world's superpower, and they are up to all kinds of evil in their government authority. And Jesus doesn't attack it. He doesn't go after their evil because he's got another thing to do. He has a different mission. And it's not a mission to free people from oppression because if you free somebody from one form of oppression, they will be oppressed by something else in this broken and dying world. He seeks to free them from sin, death, and the devil. He seeks to free them from it all in the only way that it occurs. He delivers us from this evil world. Well, from this world full of evilness. It's not the world's fault. It's not creation's fault. It's ours. We broke it. But that's the thing that we don't want to, to lose sight of here in the text as we talk about slaves and masters. It isn't saying that you should go ahead and take slaves, but it's not fighting against it because there's a bigger function, there's a bigger goal in mind for the Christian. And if by being a slave to another, I can share the gospel with them, and there's a chance that they can hear God's word and come to faith through that preaching of the gospel, or even through watching the way that we live our lives in their service, to the Christian it's worth it. Even though to the culture, it, it isn't. So, tough text, and that's just the first part. The, the next part of the text gets easier, actually, uh, as we talk about the armor of God. Now, this is one that I don't think a lot of Christians really quite recognize everything that's going on in this little section. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice where the strength and strongness come from. They come from God. They're his. They're not ours. Remember, Paul is the one who, back 
in his letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, said that when he is weak, then he is strong, because when he's weak, he's looking to Christ. That Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. So verse 11, we are to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. The whole armor of God is a reference to Jesus. Right? You can recall Paul in his other writings talking about how we put on Christ's righteousness. Like a, like a new robe. So we put on the armor of God. So we put on Christ. And it is Christ who enables us to stand. He is our strength. He is the one that fights off the devil for us. He is the one by whom we can stand against the schemes of Satan. So as we look at these things, I mean, verse 12 goes there. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Husband, wife, children, parents, slaves, masters. Government authorities. Tyrants. Militaries. We wrestle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against, again, sin, death, and the devil. The forces that would seek to tear us apart. So what if we have a life of misery for a hundred years if our paradise with Christ that lasts for eternity is glorious? That is far better than to have a life of a hundred years of greatness and to rot for eternity. It is Christ who wars against the devil for us. And so by putting on Christ, we are in that battle. We are in that fight. And this is one that you got to talk through with your kids. Who is our enemy? And it is not the other people around you. For your kids, it isn't the bully at school. It's not the teacher that gives them too much work to do or the, the, the rude boss that makes their part-time job so difficult. It's not any of those things. It's the devil. It is our sin. And Christ has defeated them already for us that we might stand firm. So you look at the different pieces. There are six pieces of this armor. You have the belt of truth, uh, for which I want to point you to Isaiah chapter 11 as a prophecy about the Savior. It is about the righteous branch. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse that shall bear fruit. The Spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. As you read through those first nine verses of that chapter, you're going to see how that's about Christ. And then you're going to see that word belt showing up twice in verse 5. So the belt of truth points you back to Isaiah 11. The breastplate of righteousness, and that's going to get paired up together in the prophecy from Isaiah with the fifth piece, which is the helmet of salvation. For that, you're going to go to Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 through 21, where you're going to see again, talking about Jesus, Yahweh saw, it displeased him, there was no justice. There was no man to intercede. And so his own arm brought salvation. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and as a helmet of salvation on his head. So you can see again the Christ reference there. And then 
we look at the third piece of armor, the shoes for your feet. The word shoe doesn't show up specifically, but Isaiah 52 verse 7 is the place you go on this one. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The messenger who brings that good news, his feet are beautiful. They've done the hard work of bringing that message all the way across from wherever it's come from. And so the shoes for your feet, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and it is Christ's gospel, it is Christ's peace that he gives to us. The shield, number four, that one doesn't actually have a direct Isaiah reference. It's the only one of these pieces of armor that we can't really turn to Isaiah to find. I'm going to take you somewhere else. Uh, for it instead. So we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now God is our refuge and strength. God is our shield. That kind of thing is a pretty common theme throughout the Psalms. But but listen to this one. 1 Peter 5 verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Think of God's hand like a shield cast over you. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So again, uh, you can keep going there. A few more verses too. A good connection to make. We've got the the helmet of uh, salvation we've mentioned already. The sword of the Spirit is the word of the Lord. It is Christ's own word. Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 7 are good there. Um, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. It is too light a thing for you that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's selected words there from that chapter. Go take a look. Or Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, the armor of God is Jesus. Prophecy is about our Savior. And we are then told to pray at all times. To pray for our our own needs, to pray that we would keep alert, to pray that we would persevere, to pray that we would uh, actually pray for one another at the end of verse 18 there. And then Paul asks that we pray for him also so that he might be given the words to boldly proclaim the gospel. That same mystery word there showing up again in today's chapter as it did in yesterday. So we pray for all of our our brothers and sisters in Christ today that they are given the boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel also. Verse 20, Paul is an ambassador in chains. We've already talked about how he's imprisoned within this book. Uh, He's imprisoned in Rome seeking to share the gospel. (laughs) Again, this is why he doesn't give as much stock to the the freedom issue either he's sitting in prison and he goes on doing the work god has given him to do sharing the gospel he closes the letter uh, by mentioning tychicus who is the servant 
the brother in Christ who brings the letter to them and probably reads it aloud to them as he heard Paul actually, well, Paul likely dictates the letter out loud and a scribe writes it down for him. So Tychicus knows how to inflect which words and, and what Paul is wanting to express here and can help serve the people of God in that place as he reads that letter for them. And then the closing blessing really mirrors the introduction. Grace and peace, just as they did back in chapter 1, show up there. The only thing of note sticking out other than that is that we would love Jesus with an incorruptible love. Look to the armor of God that we stand firm. As we wear Christ, we love because he first loved us. That kind of a statement there. Christ enables us to love him. And as we wear that armor, the devil's piercing arrows, flaming arrows, cannot harm us. Let us praise the burning garment, Christ your Son.